Brought to you by the all-new 2014 Toyota Corolla. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Um, so, Chuck. Yeah. I have a story for you. All right, let's hear it. Come back with me. Wayback Machine? Sure. Okay. hours ago. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. It's December 22nd, 1972. Oh, yeah. Something really bad is about to happen. Sit down in front of this TV. Okay. Our good friend and hero, Peter Brady, is trying out <laughs> for the school play. Yeah. It's a story of the American Revolution. I remember that. He tries out for George Washington, but he doesn't get it. And in fact, the name of this episode that we're sitting here watching on this nice brown and orange shag carpeting mm-hmm. is called... Everybody can't be George Washington. Peter doesn't get the part of George Washington, but he does get another very important part, the part of Benedict Arnold. Ooh. Well, at first he's like, hey, it's a part. It's a speaking part. I'm pretty happy. I'm going to do my best. I was a tree in my last six plays. Right. This is a huge step up for him (laughs) Um, until his classmates point out that Benedict Arnold was a traitor. And since Peter's playing a traitor, he must be some sort of traitor, too. So basically, the whole school turns on him because he's playing Benedict Arnold. Which is really kind of silly. <laughs> it is very silly. And, of course, Peter tries to get out of uh, the the play again and again. Yeah. Um, affecting laryngitis, pretending he has a limp, um, all of this stuff. For saying he forgets his lines. Yeah, I think I remember that. And finally, he's successful. And then his dad points out that he has turned into a traitor. Now Peter <laughs> against the whole class, the whole cast. He, don't tell me he had a lesson for him, and he sat him down and had a talking to. And- it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. Um, and so Peter goes in and plays Benedict Arnold and knocks it out of the park and learned a lesson in the process. But the 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 whole premise of this episode of Brady Bunch is that Peter was suffering from a smear campaign started two hundred years before by George Washington, and it was so successful that even today. You can get a rise out of somebody by calling them Benedict Arnold if they've done something traitorous. Yeah, and we've learned there are quite a few uh, synonyms with traitor that were, in fact, notorious traitors. Like if you call someone a Judas right, or uh, a Benedict Quisling. Arnold or, or what? A Quisling? Yeah, <laughs> that might be popular in some parts of the world. But... Right, but this is the USA. Sure. So we call people Benedict Arnolds. That's right. Um, well, let's talk about this. Let's yeah. talk about Benedict Arnold to start. Okay, well, you know, first of all, we should point out that this is a uh, curated show yeah. from our buddy Sam Teagarden. This is the Summer of Sam, then? Well, yeah, we're continuing into our second Summer of Sam. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Sam is a local fan of ours. Yep. And uh, a good kid. And he's he's actually on our TV show. He was in an episode, the Make It Rain <laughs> episode. Yeah, he's one of our softball teammates. Yep. And uh, Sam's a good guy, and he sends in great ideas, so we like to highlight them when we... Uh, do them. Yeah. All right. So, Summer Sam. Hey, Sam. Hope you're doing well, buddy. Um, so, where are we? Benedict we're talking Arnold? about Benedict Arnold and why there was such a smear campaign against him. And 
It turns out rightfully so, although possibly I think a lot of uh, Arnold's side of the story has been lost to history. Well, yeah, and coincidentally, or not coincidentally, some of these traitors that we're going to mention today, history has borne out that they may not have been traitors. Yeah. But Benedict Arnold definitely was. No, he was a documented traitor. <laughs> yeah. As, as traitorous and treasonous as you can get as as far as the, in the context of war. Yeah. So uh, early on in life, things started out pretty well. He was born into some wealth, um, but his family, um, specifically his father, squandered their fortune with some bad business dealings. Apparently, he was quite a drinker. Oh, he turned into the town drunk. Yeah. Well, that'll do it. They lost their family estate because yeah. of him? They lost their dough. Uh, three of his sisters or sorry, siblings, died from yellow fever. Mm-hmm. He had to drop out of school. Yeah, he became an apothecary. Yeah, so things weren't, like, rosy for the guy. No. Although he did quite well later on in the military. Well, he did quite well even before that as a merchant, and actually, by the age of 22, was able to buy back his family's estate. Oh, really? Which he then turned around and sold at a profit. Well, good for him. So I guess he wasn't the sentimental type. Flipped his estate. Yeah, I think it wasn't that he wanted his, his family's estate back, he just didn't want to lose out on the potential profit from it, I guess. Yeah, and he seemed like he may have been like uh, ADD before there was ADD. Yeah, yeah. From the sounds of reading his thing, I was just like, man, he, he this kid had ADD. He was okay. like always in trouble. He's getting kicked out of school. Yeah, but it was just because he was like busy. Yeah, he wasn't like a bad kid. It seemed like, but well, he was just always had something going on. He finally, I guess, found his niche, and he did become quite a businessman, um, and fabulously wealthy, but he wasn't wealthy enough, in his opinion, and in fact joined the Sons of Liberty, a revolutionary group in New England, um, because he was mad that his riches were being taxed by England. Yeah, he liked the dough. He did. And uh, he did have a pretty remarkable military career, and uh, Jefferson and, and Washington were big supporters of him for a while. Yeah, but he also suffered. Um, apparently, there are a lot of petty jealousies that they don't talk about among the founding fathers and the yeah. second and third echelons of all these guys. Um, and apparently, Benedict Arnold frequently suffered. Um, yes, he was slighted a lot. A lot. Yeah. yeah, he missed out on honors and stuff like that. And he doesn't seem like the type to let things go, nor was he the type to air his his feelings. So he just kind of sat there and stewed. Right. Yeah, I saw most of the times he was slighted. He like fought really hard to get either reassigned or reappointed to the position he was going for. And so you're right. He couldn't let it go. He needed therapy, but instead <laughs> he was appointed to run uh, West Point, not the military academy. The fort, right? Yeah. This is pre – I guess they probably named it after that, though, didn't they? I think it turned into the military academy. Oh, okay. But I think this was before it was an academy. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah. Um, and so he you know, went Benedict Arnold on everyone. <laughs> and little did he know he was being a Benedict Arnold, but he <laughs> sold secrets to uh, to the British, um, like plans, war secrets, uh, armament locations uh, for about three million bucks. I think it was 10,000 pounds at the time. Yeah. So he um, he, he the, the reason he did this ostensibly was a because he'd been slighted. Yeah. But also and this is what it's been lost to history is that he he came to believe that the revolution had lost steam, that yeah. the people running the show didn't really know what they were doing and probably wouldn't form a very good post 
revolutionary government if yeah. successful. So did he genuinely think the Brits were going to do a better job? Supposedly. That's okay. what historians say. But again, he didn't really, he, he may have been the type to just kind of say that's what he was right. thinking too. And that's what, what, what somebody wrote down at some point. But he ultimately said this, the colonies are better back in the hands of England again. Gotcha. So not only am I going to try to sell the, the, the map to West Point, I'm going to join the British army, which he did. Yeah. And led at least two raids against American revolutionary forces. So he really switched sides. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, uh, in 1780, I can't believe whoever wrote this article put that. Uh, when the plot was intercepted, he went from zero hero to zero. I know. <laughs> I know. I was all, all of a sudden, I was in like an Us magazine or something. Or like a Springer show. Yeah. But that's what happened. Uh, he was convicted of treason and... Um, his name was erased from the, the record books, and England promised him, they're like, hey, if you defect over here, we're going to give you land in Canada. Yeah. We're not going to give you land here. <laughs> we'll give you land in Canada, some money, and we'll promise your family pensions, and you're going to be a British provincial brigadier general. And uh, he's like, that sounds pretty great. But um, as it turned out, he didn't get that many great assignments in the military in, in England. He was even sort of... I don't think anyone likes a traitor. No, that's even in England they were like, eh, that, yeah. That comes up again and again. Like, yeah. even the side that you're trying to or yeah. or whatever, um, they yeah, they're like you're a traitor. Well, I think it's because basically you're just a big liar. Yeah, and or you're treacherous. Yeah, and so people are like, I'm not gonna trust you. Thanks yeah. for doing that, but can you go live in Canada? But it does pop up again and again. Anybody who's ever turned traitor and expected some sort of glory has been sorely disappointed. Yeah, so in England, he was sort of poo-pooed. Then he moved to Canada. They didn't like him. Yeah. And then he moved back to England and died there without ever, like, making a whole lot of money or getting any important military action. Right. So it's sort of a sad ending. It really is. And today, if you go to West Point, there's, I guess, 12 plaques of some of, like, the head revolutionary generals. Oh, yeah? And his name is literally wiped from the record. It has the year of his birth. And um, I think his, the town of his birth, but wow. his name is not on the plaque any longer. It just says, right. it's just smeared. <laughs> or there's a Sharpie through it. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So that's Benedict Arnold. Let's go a little further back. Okay. Let's go way back. Okay. I'm talking like maybe 44 BCE. Cassius and Brutus. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Junius Brutus the Younger. I'm glad you looked that up. Yeah, I was, I'm sure he had a fuller name. Yeah, Brutus. It's like it's like a whole country of share or something. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing with these guys. They were definitely traitors as well, but they're also singled out. Clearly, they killed Caesar, we all know, on the Ides of March. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is Caesar the senator and DFL. Yeah. Dictator for life, which self-declared. Um, but, but there were like 60 dudes that took part in this. Yeah, and C- Caesar was self-declared. Caesar fought a civil war, won, and formed a triumvirate with the people that he vanquished. Yeah. So he wasn't entirely dictatorial. Although, as like popular opinion started to swell around him, he's like, maybe I will just be leader for life. Let's let's save the, all those voting days and I'll just be leader for the rest of the time I'm alive. And Cassius and uh, Brutus 
had both fought against Caesar in the Civil War. Yeah. And despite that, Caesar um, pardoned both of them and gave them positions of power in his new government. And brand new knives. And they said, right. And they said, still not enough. Well, Cassius especially. Apparently he was very envious of Caesar and yeah, his power. He was the rabble rouser. And that that was ultimately his motive. Although he, he used the concept of the Republic of Rome turning into a di- dictatorship to lead the, um, the assassination against Caesar. Yeah. And even cooked up evidence and like letters of support to show Brutus because Brutus was <clears throat> much friendlier with Caesar. They were buds. Right. And, uh, but he was swayed by Cassius and said, you know what, this is going to be good for our country or our kingdom or whatever they were calling it at the time and um, took part. But they weren't like the, the lead. I mean, maybe they cooked it up, but they weren't the initial aggressors. Um, I thought Brutus was the first one to stab Caesar. No, this dude, uh, Tilius Simber, came out and like pulled down his tunic, first of all. Did he really? Yeah, I guess... He said pulled it down, but I don't know what that means. If he, I imagined he was pulling it he like a hockey Caesar. jersey. Either pants him or no, a tunic's like a shirt thing. So I thought he pulled it over his head like a hockey player might in a fight. It's like reverse pants. It reverse pants him. And so, Caesar was like, you know, what is this violence going on? And then another dude, um, Casca, he came at him with a knife mm-hmm. and Caesar blocked him away and uh, defended himself and was like, Basically, what's going on here? And then that's when everyone, <laughs> sure. like, 60 guys descended upon him. Wow. Among, you know, Brutus might have been the lead of, of that pack, though. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And well, they stabbed the crap out of him. So I knew, I thought Brutus was the first one to stab him. I knew that some other guy was the first one to strike him, and it may have been the guy who reverse pantsed him. Tilly um, Yeah, Yumi and I were at Pompeii. We actually walked around Pompeii, uh-huh. and there's a table there, and it belonged to that guy. Oh, really? And I guess somebody in Pompeii, like, bought the table of the first guy to strike Caesar and, oh, like, wow. had it in their via. And it's still there today. And did you eat at it? No, we stared at it. Oh, okay. We looked at it from, like, <laughs> three meters away. Oh, gotcha. You have to say meters because it's in Italy. <laughs> That's so obnoxious. Um, and apparently only one of the stabs, he was stabbed 23 times and, like, continued to be stabbed even after he was on the floor dead. Mm-hmm. But uh, only one of them was a fatal blow. Um, he was that like the second stab, I think, went through his heart, and the rest were just you know. But before insult that, to injury. When Brutus stabbed him, yeah, Caesar very famously said "A tu Brute," yeah, which literally means "And you, Brutus," or "What the hell, Brutus?" Yeah, you yeah. too. And supposedly he kind of gave up at that point, like it killed his spirit when he saw Brutus was involved. Yeah, but um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, supposedly he didn't want to live. In a uh, Brutusless world, <laughs> in a world where even Brutus yeah. could assassinate him, so he resigned himself to dying, and hence became a hero. It's very sad. It was on my birthday. I, I thought March. your birthday was—is it the fifteenth? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mine's the fifteenth uh, too, but not of March. That's right. Uh, so, oh, also too, apparently that was the first autopsy report. Oh, really? First postmortem death report. Was made on Caesar. God, the Greeks, man. If that's true, I've heard or the that. Romans. Whoops, whatever. I'm really glad I caught that one. <laughs> yeah, a it bunch of people just deleted their email. <laughs> no, you got anything I else? Want to save it on uh, these two traitors? Um, no. I th- oh yes, uh, Dante had a uh, special hatred for um, 
Brutus and Cassius. And in his Inferno, he says that uh, they are being perpetually eaten by two of Lucifer's three mouths. Wow. And the third mouth is reserved for the next guy we'll talk about, a little guy named Judas Iscariot. Oh, really? Yeah. Satan's third mouth? So Lucifer's three mouths are eating Cassius, Brutus, and Judas. All right, Judas is one of these that um, recent evidence has emerged where he may not have been such a traitor, but we'll get into that. But but then that was refuted as well. <laughs> um, everyone obviously knows the Judas kiss. Uh, very famously, Judas betrayed Jesus. His uh, He was one of the disciples. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Yeah. And it was actually a signal to the guards to come and grab him. I guess he was identifying him. Yeah, apparently the the Romans didn't know who this Jesus was, yeah. at least by sight. And Judas went and said, hey, you guys want this Jesus? What do you give me? And the signal was like, well, you kiss the guy that's Jesus and we'll come get him. And we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. I mean, the, the West Egg inflation calculator doesn't go back to, <laughs> no. you know, that that date. But uh, I can imagine it still probably wasn't that much. 30 pieces of silver? I have no idea. Well, apparently it was used later on to buy a field to turn into a potter's field to bury uh, unclaimed dead. Oh, really? But, I mean, it's a field. How much? It couldn't have been that much. <laughs> like, how much was land going for back then in yeah. the Middle East? They had tons of land. Um, okay, so Judas betrays Jesus. He was, um, we didn't know much about his life at the time, but recently there has been, I think in 2000, uh, one of the gospel, a new gospel was, was revealed, the gospel of Judas, supposedly. Yeah, colon, my story. <laughs> my side of things. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, of course, a papyrus document dating to the second century AD. And it was written about in a book called The Lost Gospel. And it portrays this, uh, Judas as more of a facilitator of what Jesus wanted. Basically, Jesus was like, hey, turn me in because this is my destiny. Yeah. Um, like, sacrifice yourself. I sacrifice myself. Right. And we all go on to live in heaven and, you know, fulfill our destinies. Yeah, which a lot of people were like, okay, I kind of like this different view of Judas, you know. And it makes Jesus even more prescient than he appears in the Bible. Sure. Because, you know, he's betrayed by so- someone he thought was his friend. In this, he... um is commanding Judas. He's asking him to, yeah. to, to do this. So it's just an all-around like, great view of the story. Win-win. But unfortunately, <laughs> um, apparently there's some problems that a lot of scholars, um, Gnostic scholars, have with the, the translation. And that if you just tweak a few things to the way that the Gnostic scholars think it should be translated, yeah. that all just goes right out the window. And actually, Judas is not only a horrible, treacherous traitor, he's actually a demon from the 13th level of being. Yeah. So quite two different stories. Yeah. All by changing a few words in this uh, Coptic text, which isn't the easy stuff to translate. Like, it's tough, you know. It's not like, and even the person that poo-pooed the original uh, translation was like, this is a very hard job, you know. I'm not <clears> saying <throat> they necessarily did it on purpose, mm-hmm. but... Um, that's not what I think it says. Right. And so, and that was uh, April DeConnick, a professor of biblical studies at Rice University. Yeah. And I don't know, did other people come out and support that? I couldn't really find much. Uh, I don't know. 
And apparently, actually, in the Bible, it's hinted at that Jesus could have known about it. But um, well, doesn't he say like one of you will betray me? I mean, at least well, he yeah, did he definitely in, said that in um, the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, <laughs> who Harvey Keitel does a pretty good Jesus or a Judas. Yeah, yeah, you know, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a good movie. But um, yeah, that was how I when I like every anything I'd ever heard, I always thought like Jesus knew. It was just never as explicit as this Gospel of Judas put it. Right, and then Gospel of Judas, they even claim that Jesus even asked Judas, like, hey, will you do this for me? Right. Do me a solid. So, um, kiss, kiss me, put one right here. Right, so Judas uh, realizes what he's done, feels horribly guilty, tries to give the silver back. Uh, the high priests that he's sold uh, Jesus out to um, won't take the money, um, and so he throws it on the temple floor. They end up figuring out that it can be used for a potter's field, and they use that 30 pieces of silver for that. Um, and then Judas goes off and hangs himself. Yeah, and I don't think we said Jesus uh, was crucified. I thought that went without saying. <laughs> yeah. But in case there's like one person out there who was like, well, what happened to Jesus? <laughs> right, whatever became of Jesus. That's what happened. Um, so, and then Judas supposedly fell headlong and his body opened up. And there, if you go back and read some scholarly translations, they think that um, his body opened up means that he was left, his body was left hanging for a while. Oh, wow. Out in the heat. And when it finally fell, uh, like a branch broke or whatever, and it fell, it kind of ruptured. Gross. Where'd you find that out? I don't remember. Somewhere <laughs> online. Wow. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, they were talking about how he went headlong. He became headlong. And they were saying, like, if you just switch out, like, a couple of letters, headlong becomes swollen. <laughs> And then that would explain why his body opened up. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and now Judas and Judas Kiss are both part of the lexicon and, you know, in terms of betrayals. Man. You know? Treacherous, Treacherous episode. Stuff. I know. Thanks, Sam. How about, Chuck, I know you've seen this movie. I love this movie. Uh, the Assassination of Jesse James by the coward, coward Robert Ford. Yeah, we've talked about it. God, that is a good movie. Very good movie written and directed by uh, Andrew Dominic and uh, has... Paul Schneider and my buddy Paul Schneider. Yeah. Schneids. Right. He listens. Oh, hey. <laughs> What's he? Is, he's in it? Yeah, he's he's one of the gang and uh he, he's he's a great actor. He's we've since become like email pals. That's neat. Yeah. So uh that was an excellent movie. I'm sure Schneider did fantastic in it. He did great. Schneids? Schneids. <laughs> <laughs> um and it, it seems to me I don't know a lot about the uh, whole saga of Jesse James, especially his demise. Yeah. But it seemed to be pretty true to everything I've ever heard about it. Yeah, I think the movie was pretty accurate. Yeah. And it was great, like, gorgeous to look at, beautifully filmed. Yeah. Uh, and not just because Brad Pitt was in it. <laughs> uh, but Casey Affleck as Robert Ford was amazing. He really did. So anyway, if you haven't seen that movie, go out and see it. In the meantime, we'll spoil it for you. I think he was nominated for an Academy Award. I can't imagine so. how he wasn't. Yeah. And he was so creepy. So... What's the deal with Jesse James? Well, Jesse James was a member of the James gang. Yeah, the leader. A full partner. Well, I think he and his brother Frank were kind of co-leaders. Oh, really? That's the impression I have. Like Frank Stallone? Yeah. <laughs> and um, they uh, were very successful at robbing trains, robbing people, robbing banks, robbing everything. Yep. And they became outlaw folk heroes. Everybody loved to hate, but they also still loved. Well, they didn't kill people. 
No, not until the second to last robbery by Jesse James. Yeah. Uh, they botched it and a couple of people died. Most of the James gang was caught and Jesse and Frank went off and assembled a new gang that included Robert Ford. Yeah, he was pretty new. Um, he had long tried to get in the James gang mm-hmm. and um, was sort of shunned as uh, a weirdo. Know, a little weird and like not the most skilled robber and gunman and wasn't taken very seriously, which always bothered him. Right. So um, Jesse James pulls off one last train robbery in 1870 and decides to retire. Frank James retires. And Robert Ford kind of tangs along with Jesse James the rest of his life. And um, the governor of Missouri put a bounty on Jesse James' head of, I believe, $10,000, which is pretty substantial for 1870. Sure. And in 1882... Uh, Robert Ford took the governor of Missouri up on this, apparently met with him, yeah. and not only said, I'm going to do this, I want this reward, I'm going to split it with my brother here, Yeah. but I, I, I also want to be, I want immunity from my crimes. Yeah, well, he was supposedly just supposed to capture him. Oh, okay. And um, did the shooting on his own volition. And, and there's a woodcutting in this article of Jesse James dropping a feather duster. Just like he does in the um, movie. Oh, yeah. He, he stands on a chair in his own home to dust a, a picture, <laughs> and Robert Ford shoots him in the back of the head. Yeah, and kills him. Just right there, very like uh, low-key and anticlimactic. With his wife home and everything. Yeah. And then they leave. And so Robert Ford kind of, uh, like I think uh, Benedict Arnold, expected to be considered something of a hero. Yeah. And he was considered... A coward. A zero. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was actually, he and his brother were both indicted, found guilty, sentenced to hang, and pardoned in a single day. <laughs> oh, that's a heck of a day. Yeah, pretty like emotional roller coaster going on there. And they became uh, ostracized socially. Um, Robert Ford just became the butt of many jokes. And then finally, um, one day he was confronted by a man who sought him out because he wanted to kill Robert Ford for to gain his own acclaim. Yeah, Edward O'Kelly uh, brought a shotgun into it. He was uh, a bar owner, I think, at the time, mm. Robert Ford was. And after, by the way, they toured in a touring production. Oh, yeah. Like recreating the murders. Yeah, Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And um, so Edward O'Kelly goes in the bar with a shotgun, says, hello, Bob. He turns around, shoots him in the throat. And he gets a sentence commuted after a petition and is pardoned for killing Robert Ford. Yeah, back then the That's prairie mob justice. mob rule <laughs> definitely had like a a, a a ground hold. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but I think I got my point across. Yeah, they were like he was a coward and you shot him, so that makes you a good guy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's Robert Ford. You got anything else? Nope. Should we move on to Matahari? Yeah, I knew. Next to nothing about Matahari. Yeah, same here. She turned out to be a pretty fascinating woman. Yeah. Possibly not a traitor it. at all. Yeah. Pro- actually, probably not a traitor at all. Yeah. Let's let's talk about her. Well, um, she was a very sexual being. She yeah. was very close to her father, apparently, who doted on her. Mm-hmm. And she has been described as um, sex as being her driving force. And she was said to have an insatiable longing for male attention. Right. Her entire life. And for the time period, early 1900s, 
she really, really slept around. Yeah, and she didn't just like the sex with the men. Uh-huh. She liked them to buy her stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, she used it as a means, for sure. Yeah, she um, she blew through a lot of guys' money, right? Yeah. And um, just loved to live lavishly, racked up tons of debt, and um, became something of a toast among Parisian society, European society, actually. Yeah, she was Dutch, we should point out. Yeah, her real name was um, Margareta Zelle. Yeah, but she looked like Indian, and she tried to remake herself as this uh, Indian, exotic Indian dancer. I read Indonesian. Oh, Indonesian? Yeah, because Matahari is um, Malaysian oh, for okay. Eye of the Dawn, which means sunrise. Gotcha. So her name was Sunrise, the stripping dancer. <laughs> well, and she she didn't just dance. Like This was at a time when the Moulin Rouge was like, they were like pulling their skirts up a little bit and showing some ankle and mm-hmm. some knickers, mm-hmm. and she was like taking it to, you know, another level. Well, apparently, on in stage in people's living rooms, yeah, you know, private dances, like traveling dancing, um, yeah. like really erotic and exotic stuff for the time. So, from what I understand, she was also a sometime prostitute um, it, when things were really bad. Sure, um, and then she. But ultimately, she just kind of went through a succession of of lovers around Europe. And uh, at one point, she found herself in, um, I guess, in Amsterdam (laughs) and was approached by a German officer and said, hey, we want you to spy for us. Here's 20,000 francs and some invisible ink. And um, you're now a German spy. Right. And she's like, whatever, mine heir. Right. Thanks for the money, sucker. And threw away the invisible ink, supposedly. Yeah. And never spied for Germany. But she still had a code name, H21. And as far as Germany was concerned, she was a spy for them, even though she didn't take it seriously, apparently, and never carried out any spying activities. Right. So she had a reputation as a German spy. Yeah. Without actually spying yet. Right. And uh, she was, as uh, this one writer puts it, she was traveling alone. Mm-hmm. She was wealthy. She was an excellent linguist and very foreign and very educated and admitted to having lovers. And like all of this stuff for the time just meant we don't trust you, even if we don't have evidence. Right. This makes you untrustworthy. Right. So um, f- at some point, the French decided that they were going to recruit her to become a French spy. This is during World War One. Yeah. Even though they already suspected she was a German spy, she was sent around um, to try to get to, I don't remember what country they were trying to get her into. Uh, uh, Vittel? Oh, well. The she, town of Vittel when yeah, she was trying she, to go there? She went to Russia. Yeah. She ended up going there for a little while in exchange for becoming a French spy, agreeing to spy for the French. Exactly. She ended up in Spain and came across this German officer. And apparently he suspected her of being a spy. So when she started asking him questions, he gave her old information. Yeah. Well, they went to bed together as well. Sure. We should mention this thing is just rife with sex. Right. And um, he gave her some old information. This The Frenchman who – the French intelligence officer who recruited her as a spy but still suspected her as a German spy yeah. finally said, you know what? I think that what you were really doing was giving French <laughs> secrets to the German – you're a double agent, and we're going to arrest you. And yeah. she was arrested in France. Again, no evidence. No evidence whatsoever, and tried for treason and convicted. Yeah, and um, basically, Thunder knows that the whole experience and was like, 
I'm going to hold my head high. I'm going to blow you a kiss right before you shoot me in the firing squad. Well, supposedly it wasn't the firing squad. It was uh, two nuns that she became friends with and her lawyer, who also she had slept with. That's who she blew kisses to. But she refused to blindfold. Oh, I thought she blew. Okay. That's what it said in this article. But I I saw elsewhere it was like to the nuns. She also slept with her headmaster when she was 16. Yeah. (laughs) And got kicked out of school for it. Yeah. So she refuses a blindfold in the end. She's all dressed up and everything for her execution. She's standing ankle deep in mud on a cold October day in 1917. Yeah. She refuses to be tied to the pole behind her. She refuses a blindfold and is executed by firing squad. So the the weird thing is, is about 30 years later, one of the prosecutors in France admitted, quote, they didn't have, sorry, here's the quote. There was, quote, <laughs> not enough evidence to flog a cat. Yeah. That she very, very likely did not ever spy for Germany. Yeah. Made that one half-hearted attempt in France Just to, to, get to some spy money. for France to, yeah. to make some money and was executed and still didn't protest. I wonder if there's been a good movie on her. Surely there has. I don't been. know if there's been a recent one. She was tall, too. She was like almost six feet tall. Yeah, she looks very long. Yeah, look at her. It's hard to, like, sometimes it's tough to look at pictures from back then and see the attraction, you know? Yeah. It's just a different time period. Yeah. I think it was the fact that she took off her clothes. And was real sexy and tall. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Slept with everybody. So, Matahari probably was not a traitor, and they really had a lot of uh, trouble trying to prove that another famous traitor was actually a traitor. And that woman was Iva Toguri. The Kino. Yeah. Yeah. Tokyo, Tokyo Rose. Rose. Nice. <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, in fact, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. She was not a spy, and she was not a treasonous traitor, um, because it was proven so, and she was pardoned by Gerald Ford. Right, so she was born... Uh, so I'm just going to take her off the list. Okay. We'll finish the story, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a worthwhile story. Yeah. Iva Toguri, she was uh, born in uh, America in Los Angeles um, and had a degree in zoology from UCLA. Yeah. And in 1941, she traveled to Tokyo to take care of an ailing aunt. Her family sent her over there. Yeah. Despite the fact that she didn't really speak Japanese. She hadn't been raised in Japanese culture, apparently. Yeah. It was a lot of culture shock, but she still went over to take care of her aunt nonetheless. And while she was there, she got uh, two jobs. One, she was typing for... Uh, one new service, and she got a second job as a typist for um, the uh, one of the radio stations. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, you're American, uh, Jap- Japanese American, and mm-hmm. you have a great voice, and you're perfect for this new thing uh, that we're going to do. It's um, American rock and roll music, and we're going to play it for the uh, morale of the troops. And well." To deteriorate the morale. Well, but she they told her a different story at first, though. Oh, okay. They told her it was to boost the morale. Really? Yeah, like I don't think she knew what she was getting into. That's crazy. Why would the Japanese boost the morale of the American troops in the Pacific? Well, it it was later said that it did, in fact, boost the morale. They said Americans loved the music and thought the Tokyo Rose banter was funny and it lifted their spirits. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So if they were really trying to do that, they did a pretty poor job of it. Okay. But nonetheless, she was reporting on things like um, ships being sunk. Is that correct? Yeah, she called it. Well, that's what she was eventually the one thing that they pinned on her. Okay. Well, then that didn't actually happen. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Okay. So well, let, let's get back to the story. World War II goes along. Yeah. She um. Da, 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 da. Right. <laughs> it ends, and she tries to get back to America. And as she's doing that, apparently the Japanese government identified her as Tokyo Rose. Yeah, she was Orphan Anne was her radio name, and right. Tokyo Rose was just sort of the name of the operation as a whole. Right. And not a single person, even though they tied her to that name. Which led to some great confusion, apparently. Yeah. Because they were trying to get her as Tokyo Rose, even though her she called herself Orphan Anne, and there were like 12 women, including her, that were all Tokyo Rose collectively. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the Japanese government says, that's Tokyo Rose. and uh, She said, I'm Orphan Anne. The American uh, intelligence services of the Army investigated her and could find no evidence that she'd committed any form of treason. And they were going to let her in the country, back in her, her place of birth, um, because she traveled without a passport. Yeah. And now that she's trying to get back in, she needed a passport. Um, apparently, a lot of veterans groups are like, you can't let Tokyo Rose into the uh, the U.S. Yeah, it was this one guy kind of started the charge and was successful. The the reporter, Harry yeah. Bundridge? Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, he got a couple of Japanese guys to, to commit perjury and, and present false evidence against... Um, Tokyo Rose. Yeah, the two most damaging witnesses actually like just completely lied. Right. The FBI put him up to it, coached them, yeah. and said, you're going to get tried for treason if you don't do this. So she ended up being tried and convicted for treason um, and sentenced to 10 years. And she got out in 1956, and they tried to deport her. Yeah. And um, she successfully battled deportation and moved to Chicago. Yeah, died she, in 2006, I think. She worked at a retail store until 2006. Her father's Chicago. store. 2006, she was working in a retail store. Yeah. At 90 years old. And nobody even, people didn't like come in there to see Tokyo Rose. Like, she was just a worker. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It is. Like, such a prominent figure in history, just a, ringing people up. Yeah. Like you said, uh, Ford pardoned her. Yeah, Gerald Ford. And then he fell down. So... <laughs> Let's talk about the Quisling, just briefly. Yeah, the Quisling is, uh, we mentioned earlier, is another name if you live in uh, perhaps Norway or maybe other parts of Europe. You might be called a Quisling if you're a trader because of Vidkun Quisling. Yeah. He was, uh, he basically tried to seize power after buddying up with Hitler in 1940 and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to, Make Norway my own. Yeah. And he did so for a very, very short time. Yeah, he invited the Nazis to come invade Norway. They did. He um, made a power grab and said, I'm now the ruler of Norway. And the Nazis let that slide for about a week. They're like, sure, sure, you're ruler. Then they installed <laughs> their own guy as the uh, head of Norway and demoted Quisling to uh, pres- minister president. Yeah. And uh, apparently he went to work sentencing uh Norwegian Jews to concentration camps. Yeah. Uh, like he, really bad guy. Yeah, he was um, very much anti-union. He was a fascist, and he was trying to make Norway fascist, and he did so. He became the first person to ever announce a coup d'etat on uh, television. That's how he made his power grab. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it was television, huh. although it seems early, so maybe it was radio. But I guess he became the first one to announce it over on a broadcast. Facebook. Right. <laughs> so... um after the Nazis were defeated, he was like, oh, no. Yeah. I have a feeling this is going to end up bad for me. Yeah. And he was uh, convicted of treason, sentenced to death, and executed by firing squad. Yep. And you are a Quizzler. I'm sorry, a Quizzling. 
<laughs> if you collude. Yeah, if you're in Norway and you're a traitor, you're a Quisling. Yeah. There's like the Benedict Arnold of Norway. So, Chuck, you got anything else? No, and as per usual, uh, this is a top ten that we do about six of <laughs> and encourage people to go read the rest, including uh, Robert Hansen, who we've talked about. Yeah, um, Ezra Pound, who Ezra we Pound. talked about in the Insanity Defense. Yep, and uh, the Cambridge Five. Yep. Not the Seattle Seven. Or the Jackson Five. Or the Jackson Five. Yeah. And uh, did we skip another one or was that it? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, the intro, we didn't mention um, the Cleveland Cavaliers ire LeBron. against LeBron, which I just think that's weird. Well, I think Cleveland went berserk. That sort of has passed, and there's rumors of him going back to Cleveland anyway next no year. No way, really? Maybe his contract's up, and they think that he might love nothing more than to go back there and win a championship. Huh. Well, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, if you want to learn more about traders, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it'll bring up this article. And uh, since I said search bar, it means it's time for message break. Uh, now, Chuck, it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is Capgrass. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for doing the Capgrass Syndrome episode. It was amazing timing came out right around Father's Day, and my father suffers from this syndrome. It's been very painful to watch. No. Yeah. Wow. Uh, during my marriage, we have never lived very close to my parents, but just under three years ago, we moved close enough for day trips. About the same time, my dad had a fairly significant stroke, and it made the slow progress of vascular dementia, Alzheimer's, that he also suffers from significantly worse. I started visiting my dad on a weekly basis. I would spend the day with him, while my mom and brother would get the Monday rush orders out. Uh Apparently, Dad ran a mail order business. Gotcha. Uh, when I first started these visits, Dad knew who I was. We talked, and I shared photos and stories of my kids. But within just six months, the Capgrass really took effect. We had to work our way through who this strange lady was who lived there now, my mom, and why did Linda, my mom, leave him and uh, watched his absolute fear when she would walk into the room. Uh, he eventually forgot who my brother and I were as well, as well as our spouses and kids, although I had to giggle a little bit during the small amount of time when my husband was the only one of us he knew, because Capgrass affects those closest to you and then works his way out. So the husband wasn't around him as much. Right. So at one point he was the only person that he recognized. Wow. And the wife thought that was kind of funny. Uh, now the dementia and Alzheimer's have progressed to a point of living in the past and not even remembering moment to moment, let alone day to day. He still doesn't know why his family has abandoned him, even though we're all around him all the time. Man, that's uh, tough. I know. He lives a very fear-filled and lonely life among strangers. I liken it to living in a nightmare every moment of the day. Um, and it sounds really sad, but she's, she was fairly upbeat in the email mm. like that we corresponded with. Just so like people are up there crying and stuff. Thanks for doing the podcast. When I talk about how Dad is doing, it's tough to explain what he's going through. And now I can just send people to the podcast to learn more about it. Nice. So it's really helped. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that is Jill Overturf in Republic, Missouri. Well, thanks a lot, Jill. We appreciate you uh, sharing that. Yeah, and I, you know... I hope things improve for your father. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you have a story about something we've talked about. <laughs> Ever. Uh, we want to hear it. Especially if um, we've helped you explain it to other people. We like that kind of thing. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can uh, send us an, e- an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And you can always check out our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 